Well, hello there, podcast listeners. This is Art Wright, and I'm the pastor here at Williamsburg Baptist Church in historic Williamsburg, Virginia. We're so glad you're tuning in. This sermon is based on the strange and famous or maybe infamous story of Jacob wrestling with God all night long that is recounted in Genesis chapter 32, a strange story in which um, Jacob ends up with a new name and also a limp that will follow him for the rest of his life. And we were delighted to welcome the Reverend Sarah Ann Burgess to preach for us this past week. I had a crazy week uh, last week, and um, Sarah Ann pinch hit for me on a on a on, at the last minute, and for that I'm really grateful. Um, but this is a, a story that I have loved for a long time because I felt like ever since I went to seminary, I was wrestling with God and just found myself in a place where I wanted all the answers and, and wanted them now, gosh darn it. Um, and um, I think that it's important for us to recognize that, you know, so often churches tell us, don't question God, don't ask hard questions, just accept it for what it says. And Yet we see time and time again the evidence and witness of Scripture is that humans are invited into this space of wrestling with God uh, in theology and um, through reading Scripture. Uh, and so I think this is a very beautiful story, and um, I love how Sarah Ann frames it up, especially comparing it to a high school wrestling match. Um, but it turns out that for many of us, our our wrestling with God ends up being a lifelong process, and we often find that we come away limping as a result, and yet somehow we're transformed for the better uh, in, in spite of that. And so I hope that Sarah Ann's sermon will be meaningful to you this week, uh, will be a word of encouragement, uh, whatever you're wrestling with in life um, and theology. Uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can head over to williamsburgbaptist.com. You can also look us up on Facebook and Instagram. I'll provide links for those and the, um, the podcast blurb. Uh, and you can also reach out to me if you're interested in connecting over a cup of coffee or Zoom or a phone call or just email. I'm pastor at williamsburgbaptist.com. We really are thrilled that you're listening. Enjoy the sermon. God bless. stand in your pulpit this morning. It is um, an honor and always a little scary. Um, I will uh, ask you to be patient with me as I uh, take a moment of just saying something. I work for Camp Aculana and I know Art loves camp and every once in a while he will put pictures of camp on your Facebook page. So I thank you for the free advertising that you have provided. But I want to have a little plug. If you play golf, we have a golf tournament. You should come play golf. It'll be fun. And I know, because I have watched your Facebook page, there are lots of very talented people in this, in this room and in this church. Every couple of years, we have an auction, and we make money, and we have fun. And we would love to have something that you made. If you draw, if you have beautiful artwork, if you knit or crochet or do whatever it is that you do, and you would like to volunteer to donate that to us, we would love to do that. 
And if you got a house at the beach that you want to donate a couple days, we would, we, would, we would gladly take that as well. So thank you for that moment of personal privilege. My friend Judy Fisk, who tells me that she went to Williamsburg Baptist Church at one time in her life, and she says that when you do things, you should ask for forgiveness and not permission. So I ask your grace and your forgiveness for taking that moment. So I don't get to preach very often, but I really like to preach. Part of the reason I like to preach is because I like to write. My dad's a preacher, but he doesn't write his sermons. He preaches from notes. My husband does the same thing. And they both get very frustrated with me because I read my sermon, because I wrote my sermon, because words are really important. It's important to say what you mean and to make it understandable. So I spend a lot of time in the library. Thank you also for a very good reason to spend time in the library this week. I appreciate that, those moments of grace. So I spend a lot of time reading other people's words to see how I want to twist them and make them my own. So often when I write sermons, I consult the works of my seminary professor, Dr. Sam Valentine. That is not to say that I always understand what Dr. Ballantyne is writing about. I'm just hoping that he will point me in the right direction. So in reference to this passage, I would like to share the words that he wrote. It lends itself to a wide range of hermeneutical possibilities that I cannot begin to address here. (laughs) And so I ask you, How can I, a mere mortal, craft a sermon from this story? Where should I begin? What point should I make? What does this story of an ancient people in an ancient time say for a world today? I will tell you that I did consult other scholars. I even read part of the Bible for Dummies which was humorous and interesting, but the other end of the spectrum from Ballantyne. I also read from a book from Bill Moyers. It's called Genesis, A Living Conversation, and it was a PBS show many years ago because I am old. Bill Moyers gathered this group of very different people to talk about Genesis because Genesis is a book of that Christians read and Jewish people read and non-churchy people read and so he gathered this whole group of people and they sat and they talked and it was very interesting but at the beginning of of his book Bill Moyers writes this the stories of Genesis are about life in the making They tell us that we can change our lives. Even a con con artist like Jacob, wandering the desert with fear and trembling, gets a second chance. So up to this story that Art read for us this morning, a lot of things have happened to Jacob. And you may remember, I'll give you the Bible for Dummies version of what happened. Jacob is there, and he's the second twin, and comes out holding the heel of his brother 
And somewhere along the line, he decides he wants the birthright that he thinks he is due. And so he steals it from his brother by tricking their father. And then he meets this lovely woman that he wants to marry. And her dad tricks him and has him marry the other daughter. So he has the other daughter and this daughter. And things happen in his life. And he goes on and he travels to avoid Esau, the brother that he stole the birthright from, because as you can probably imagine, he's not very happy about it. So he's wandering and he's doing and he's going. And then there's the story the choir sang about of Jacob's ladder, where he has a dream that he's climbing a ladder to heaven. And right when we get to this point, before he goes into the lonely, lonely place, he's decided that he's going to meet with Esau again, his brother. He's going to get back with him, and they're going to, he's, going to, he's going to see what happens. And so he's in the darkness alone because he has sent his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children across to the other side of the river. And for some reason, not really sure, he's there by himself. He's an interesting man, this Jacob. He's been called many things. Duplicitous, a dreamer, a pretender, vulnerable, cunning, a thief, a coward. But if you look at this man in side by side with the patriarchs who came before him, they didn't have all of that. They were a little more one-dimensional. This guy's got a lot going on. This characterization helps us to understand who he was. And what he brings to this story and to the story that will be the history of the Hebrew people. He's a son. He's a brother. Not the very best of either. He's a husband, a father, a son-in-law. He's argued with most of his family. a human being like you and me to use terminology that I use when I teach godly play which is a way of teaching to children we tell a story and then we do this we wonder So as I tell the story of Jacob, I wonder if you see anything of yourself in Jacob. Before the story that Art told us, before he meets God, Jacob prays to God. 
In the midst of fearfulness and uncertainty, Jacob prays. This prayer is in verses 19, I mean, verses, verses starting in verse 9 of chapter 32. It's not especially exciting prayer. It sounds like any prayer that we would hear. It starts by invoking the God of his fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. He reminds God of promises that God has made to him. He confesses that he is unworthy of God's love. He requests deliverance. And he claims a promise that God made to him. Scholars are divided about the sincerity of this prayer. And I was too a little when I read it. I'm heartened to see that those who study the Bible don't always see eye to eye. Some people think he was very serious and he meant it. Some people think he was grasping at straws like sometimes we do when we pray. Dr. Ballantyne says that in this prayer, he tries to manipulate God with his words. We've all heard those prayers. Some of us may have said those prayers. We say what we think God wants to hear. We say what we think we're supposed to say. Could be said that we're saying something in the moment for that moment. Art told you that I like to write prayers. My friend Judy always asked me to pray because she knows I will write a prayer. I'm not really good at praying extemporaneously. I don't believe most people are. I think we need to think when we pray. But he prayed because he he had to. He didn't know what was coming. He didn't know who would who he would see, who Esau would be. Would he be mad? Would he be happy? Would he be the good brother that he wanted him to be? He didn't know. He's planning for the unknown. And so he prays. He sends his family away. Not just his family, but everyone. I like that it says his two wives, his two maids, his 11 children. Now, you know that that's not all the people in his realm because he's got a lot of cattle. And I cannot even begin to imagine that those 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 people could manage all of the cattle that he had. So as is customary with the Bible, it also tells us they were his 11 sons, which you've read the Bible. That didn't count the daughters. There were some of those, too. He sent them all away across the river. And he's alone, lying in the darkness. But he's not asleep. He's awake. 
a man appears. Not a vision, not a dream, a man. This unidentified stranger at this point in our story wrestles with Jacob until daybreak. When I was a little girl, my brother was a wrestler. I went to many high school wrestling matches. They last about six minutes. I don't know about you, but that is far less than all night long. And in wrestling, there's a lot of touching. There's a lot of changing dominance. For two humans to wrestle all night long would be exhausting, painful, a struggle. But this man is not playing with Jacob. This is not a cat and mouse kind of thing. It's a real struggle. It is a genuine encounter. This man and Jacob wrestle. We are told at some point in the story that the man realized that he could not prevail over Jacob. And so he hit him in the hip socket. In the world of the WWE and Andre the Giant and all the wrestlers that I remember from my childhood, this could perhaps be done, perhaps with a chair or something else. But in traditional wrestling, where there's a fair fight, so to speak, this is not fair. This is an illegal shot. And after making it, this man, who has already concluded that he cannot prevail over Jacob, comes up with another excuse. The day is breaking. It's been all night. It's morning. I wonder, why were they wrestling at all? I've been in church all my life. My father was a pastor. My husband was a pastor. I was a pastor. Too many pastors. I know that this is a Bible story. And you know that in Bible stories, one of the characters always has to be God or Jesus. At this point, I will take a moment to tell you my favorite Bible story about my favorite story about children in church. It's kind of appropriate. The preacher, whoever's leading the children's church, is telling a story about this animal. It's got a fuzzy tail. And it scurries and climbs trees. And they say to the kid, what is this? And the kid says, I know the answer's Jesus, but it sounds an awful lot like a squirrel to me. In this story, the answer it really is God. Sometimes it's not. Just be careful when you read. This time it is. 
I'm not seeing God here at this point. So why are we reading this story all these years later? Why was this story passed down to Jacob's descendants? Why do we care? Jacob responds to the quest, the request that the wrestling end, and he says he won't let go. This Jacob guy, he holds on to Esau's heel when they're born. He won't let go. He takes what he wants. He won't let go. He says to this man who has beaten him, who has wrestled with him and not beaten him, who has struggled with him all night long, I'm not going to stop until you give me a blessing. Jacob knows who this man is. Why else would he ask for a blessing? What is a blessing? Who gives blessings? My husband hates when I do this. A dictionary definition of the blessing would be God's favor and protection, a prayer asking for that or a beneficial thing for which one is grateful or brings well-being. In my family, a blessing is a prayer before a meal. I looked it up because I love words. Somewhere in my house, there's an actual book that is a dictionary. It's massive and it's beautiful. I personally am well known for my tendency to wish blessing on the heads of ones that I love. But I wonder... What blessing does Jacob want? This man, whom we now can assume is God, then asked Jacob for his name. If this story seems convoluted, this is how it sounds in the Bible. If you've read the Bible, it could use a good editor. You have to bear with the story. It's okay. So we understand that God, that Jacob now says, now understands that this is God. So if it's God, why does he ask Jacob what his name is? Aren't we all taught from childhood that God knows our name? Probably because what Jacob's name is will be a juxtaposition to what it will be. The name Jacob, we always think this is a great Bible name. People want to name their children Jacob. It's a name in the Bible. It's fabulous. Do you know what this name means? Jacob means heel, trickster, overreacher, supplanter. This is the name that Jacob has been called all his life. Those around him would know that's what it means. Jacob, I mean, Walter Brueggemann wrote in his commentary on Genesis that each of these names is true for who Jacob is. They're just not flattering. 
Are we defined by what our names mean? For the Hebrew people and for many other cultures, names are closely linking the bearer to some character that they will have. My name, Sarah Ann, literally means Princess Grace. Isn't that great? (laughs) So beautiful. Thanks, Dad. All of my children have Hawaiian names because my husband is Hawaiian. But we picked the names out of a book. We didn't know our children when we named them. But somehow their names seemed to fit them. Kaio is my son who is here with me today. His name means full. Anyone who knows him will know that that's appropriate. I will allow you to discern what you will from that. So this man named Jacob, who's a trickster, all around, not really a good person, believes in a God who wanted to know his name. But this God proffered a new name on Jacob. He calls him Israel. If you really look at the etymology of the word, it means God rules, God prevails, God strives. But for some reason, in this telling of the tale, the name Israel means that he has striven with God and man. They're not the same thing. I wonder why God did that. The place of the wrestling gets a new name, too. Art, because he's smarter than me, pronounced it Peniel. But my best friend growing up is from Matthews County, and she went to Peniel Church. And Peniel means something different. It means a place where you have wrestled with God. Jacob declares this new place. He gives it a new name. Not because there's lasting significance here for everyone else. This happened to him. Because he had this experience there. Jacob's name was changed. He became Israel. He's no longer just a man, though. Israel is a nation. If you continue to read this story of Genesis, Jacob isn't called Israel, like Abram Abram became Abraham, and we always called him that. Jacob will continue to be called Jacob sometimes. But the people, the people who would hear this story, they would be called Israel. Jacob's story tells us 
that we can get a second chance. You can see the face of God and live. I wonder what my blessing will be. I wonder what your blessing will be when you encounter God. Will your name be changed? Will you be changed?